This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, August 3rd, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. President Obama insists that the U.S. mission in Afghanistan is one of modest goals. So why the dramatic increase in troop presence? And why has the commander-in-chief adopted strategies in Afghanistan that require years, if not decades, to bear fruit? Malou Innocent, a foreign policy analyst at the Cato Institute, comments. What distinction is President Obama trying to draw by suggesting that the strategy in Afghanistan now is one that can work? I don't think too many things have actually changed in the past several months, let alone years, as far as policy is concerned. The United States is still committed to promoting a strengthened, accountable, non-corrupt Afghan government in Afghanistan. And I think one of the problems is that we have yet to sort of decouple the al-Qaeda threat to the United States with propping up and perpetuating a failed state in Central Asia. And recently, President Obama said that we have fairly modest goals in Afghanistan. Uh, However, when you actually look at the policy and the goals of this administration, it's to never allow terrorists to reemerge in Afghanistan and to prevent them from creating uh, large-scale training camps that they could use against the United States. On its face, those sound like very modest policies. Of course, we'd want to try and uh, prevent terrorists from reemerging in Afghanistan. But that also sort of creates a convenient rationale to prolong the mission in perpetuity. Number one. Number two, if we say that we don't want terrorists to reemerge in any part of the world, that's sort of an open-ended justification to intervene anywhere we want. So these aren't modest goals in the least. Uh, That's just in theory. Also, you have to look at the policies themselves. We're talking about uh, eradicating illegal narcotics, uh, resuscitating an Afghan government, giving billions of dollars to a Pakistani government that trains and assists the the Taliban militants that we're fighting. Uh, So overall, this is not a a fairly modest goal or fairly modest policies in the least. This is a very large-scale social engineering project that we continue to pursue. I think when Americans hear modest goals, uh, they think, well, short term. Yeah. And so many of the policies that we have uh, in practice in Afghanistan take, I mean, in the very definition of these types of policies take years, sometimes decades to actually bear fruit. Indeed. I mean, even uh, simply creating a political institution is more than just uh, democracy. I think this is all just window dressing. Uh, If you're talking about providing legal, uh, political, and constitutional rights to Afghan citizens, uh, you see on the ground uh, that even uh, as far as the gender imbalance and and gender inequalities, uh, trying to sort of bring about uh, those equalities will take a very long time, and that requires uh, a sort of bottom-up a change within society, not something that can be imposed down, uh, top down from a, from the Capitol in Kabul. The funny sketch on Saturday Night Live years ago was George W. Bush talking about uh, how to restore stability to Iraq. And he said, now hear me out here, Saddam Hussein. And in Afghanistan, it seems like the, the, the group that we've ousted there years ago, now just under nine years ago, the Taliban. Mm-hmm. What does it mean that 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 the United States has now come to the point where talking to the Taliban is not only legitimate but 
advantageous, possibly. Yeah, it's interesting. I think uh, a lot of people, especially those on the left, endorse a policy of engagement with the uh, senior Taliban political leadership. Uh, the administration, however, has said that we're willing to reintegrate low-level Taliban fighters into Afghan society, but we don't want to have reconciliation, which would be extending an olive branch to the senior leadership. And of course, that would also mean bringing in Pakistan and other regional actors. I think the problem I have with it is that... Um, Overall, I'm, I'm all for engagement. I think political engagement is necessary, especially when you talk about ending a war. Uh, wars are usually ended in, uh, in a political settlement, not through uh, sort of military engagement on the ground. But the issue with engaging talks with the Taliban is that agreements aren't self-reinforcing. There would need to be some third party to enforce the terms of any agreement in order to preclude the Taliban from taking actions that would undermine any power-sharing agreement that's made. Uh, so even this notion of talking with the Taliban, um, it implicitly demands either U.S. or NATO forces or some sort of independent actor to uh, allow and enforce that agreement uh, to continue. Uh, that's one issue. Another issue is that many people already within the Afghan government who are from the northern areas, the Pancheris, the Uzbek, the Tajiks, uh, uh, reject any sort of uh, power-sharing agreement that would allow the Taliban into the government simply because of the uh, atrocities that were unleashed under the population during the 1990s. Uh, so it assumes that all these people within Afghanistan, all the major political actors actually uh, want or can actually agree on a final endgame or a, p a power sharing agreement. So that's a, sort of the second issue. The third issue is even if you do talk to uh, the Taliban, the Taliban political leadership in Pakistan, you also have to consider the other regional stakeholders and why it is that Pakistan is assisting uh, these various insurgent groups. To a great extent, it's because of increased Indian involvement in Afghanistan. Uh, in, India and Pakistan have long been enemies. And with the increased Indian uh, involvement with consulates and uh, development resources have been poured into Afghanistan. The Pakistanis have been reluctant to offer their cooperation in Afghanistan because they feel sandwiched on both sides by an enemy. In that respect, you also have a great deal of Russian and in Iranian and Chinese involvement. And so this is definitely sort of a broader regional context that can't be viewed in isolation with just Afghanistan and the Taliban uh, uh, fighters. I think sort of on a side note, over the years, we've sort of conflated the Al-Qaeda and Taliban threats. And I've said this many times before, um, and I don't disagree with the notion that Al-Qaeda and the Taliban and other groups in this region uh, sort of coordinate their activities, their insurgent activities. That's, of course, definitely the case. But it's a different, different case entirely when we say that the Taliban poses an existential threat to the United States, which they do not. And in fact, I think uh, many times the, the mid and low level Taliban operatives, especially those in the southern and eastern provinces of the country, they definitely blend in with the local population. And this is sort of why it's been so difficult to sort of hold areas after they've been cleared. The Taliban and the other insurgents simply flee the area. They make uh, sort of problems in another village or a neighboring village and they come back after we withdraw. Uh, so given the fact that the Taliban is so, uh, uh, intimately intertwined with these uh, various groups in the in the in the country, I think it's very difficult to sort of offer any sort of uh, Afghan government or Afghan equivalent that can uh, act as a different mechanism that the government of the Taliban actually bring forth to these people, uh, particularly when you look at the provision of basic and uh, justice and rudimentary security. Uh, the Taliban is usually able to provide that much better than the Afghan government that we back. Uh, in fact, many Afghans, especially in the rural areas of the country, they don't turn to government courts. They're considered corrupt and overly bureaucratic. And so instead, they turn to their local mullah, who happens to double as a Taliban operative. It just seems that 
the distributed nature of uh, the Taliban and their credibility in the country, I mean, if we ever thought it was hard to, to impose something top down in Afghanistan before, trying to get any kind of broad agreement uh, in that region, just just by nature of the, the country itself, it seems like just a fool's errand. Have people like David Petraeus been critical of this kind of uh, attempt in Afghanistan before? Uh, no, not that, uh, that I'm aware of. I think that overall, the everyone in the administration uh, who is in, who endo- essentially endorses this policy, it's a policy of very much centralized democratic control under Hamid Karzai, the president. Uh, he gets the power to appoint uh, provincial leaders, government leaders, uh, everyone top down. Uh, so it's very much a, a system of governance that no one, I think, would want. I mean, we sort of think of the Afghans as these aliens from outer space. They're human beings just like us. No one in America would like their government to be appointed by President Obama, or any other president for that matter. And so this is very much a tight, centralized apparatus that we've imposed onto the Afghan people and onto the Afghan state, and understandably so, some people have rebelled. Malou Innocent is a foreign policy analyst at the Cato Institute. You can read more of her work at Cato.org.